Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our Rockets Thunder Game 5 post-game show. Joining me as co-host and fellow H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. 60 years in sports journalism between the two of us. So we've seen a lot of stuff, Stephen, and the Rockets blow another close game in this series, 104-100, the final and boy, I mean, I'm thinking in our 60 years of covering sports, I don't think either one of us will understand why Russell Westbrook had the ball in his hands to make decisions in the final few minutes of this game. That was the very thing I was thinking, Robert. And, you know, I used to cringe when James Harden would be handling the ball and bring it up when he first came to the Rockets. Remember how sloppy he was then. He's obviously gotten better. So my question was, why wasn't Harden the one who had the ball coming up the floor instead of Westbrook? You know, especially when he made the turnover that essentially cost the Rockets the game. And, Robert, this is a case where stats can sometimes be misleading. The Rockets were averaging 11 turnovers coming into the game. In the first five games, they averaged 11 turnovers, fewest of any team in the playoffs. But here's the problem. In all three losses, they have had way too many turnovers. In this one, 22. That is twice as many as their average coming into the game, I mean, that that says it all right there to me. I mean, they made other numerous mistakes that certainly didn't help, but that is definitely a glaring one. Yeah, and you got Russell Westbrook with seven turnovers. You got Eric Gordon with six turnovers, and there was the issue because James Harden played fine, 32 points, 11 for 22 from the field, three from 11 for three, you know, went to the line eight times, you know, made seven of them. All of that looks great from James Harden. Uh, You got P.J. Tucker, who wasn't doing much of anything until the fourth quarter offensively, but then he started doing what P.J. Tucker usually does in the fourth quarter. He started hitting shots. The problem was you can't win a game when Eric Gordon is giving you six turnovers and Russell Westbrook is giving you seven turnovers. I think seven, maybe 13 between those two guys. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's... um, I'm sorry, Eric Gordon with four turnovers. So 13 between those two guys. I, I uh, misstated that, but still, you know, Eric Gordon, not much of a ball handler in your offense. And usually when he gets the ball, it's not like he's looking to pass a lot of the time. It's usually like he's looking to, you know, either shoot or shoot or shoot. Well, and, and it just it's a shame because, you know, we've criticized Harden many times about his defense and just in some of the ways he's played. But, you know, it, it kind of rubbed out a great play that he made late in the fourth quarter when one of his shots got deflected and then he managed to bounce a ball off of Gallinari's legs out of bounds. Great heads up play by, by Harden, but it just, all those good plays that the Rockets made were canceled out by all the bad ones. And especially the turnovers, as we talked about. I love their defense. Most of this game, there was a couple of times there was some, you got the blow buys on James Harden on defense and Russell Westbrook. Those two guys, you know, it's just too many times where they just seem like they're on their heels. Uh, and, and, and that's not a ton in this game, but, you know, it's enough. I mean, you, you just can't continually do that because these guys have a reputation of doing that. I mean, they just got to be better at that kind of thing. Yeah, and the Rockets obviously just have to be better at finishing the close games. You know, the the games that they've won have, have been by a good margin, and these three losses, they're really the Rockets should have won those games. And certainly, you know, they're going to look back if, if they end up losing game seven. 
they're going to be smarting for more than <laughs> more than just one game. But this one in particular, just really, because now you've got the series tied. Game seven, we all know that anything can happen in a game seven. You don't have the home court advantage, perhaps, but you know the the Thunder has the momentum. They're they're still alive. The Rockets have just allowed them too many opportunities to stay alive in this series. And as you get deeper into the playoffs, you certainly don't want to do that against a team like the LA Lakers if the Rockets can steal Game Seven and get in the the next round. Right, and that's the thing that concerns you is because how many teams go to the finals that go seven games in a series in the first round? Well, but I guess what concerns me, Robert, is that the, just the the on again, off again inconsistency that the Rockets have. I, I just don't see. I, I don't think that any team is going to win a championship playing that kind of brand of basketball. They they just they they can't seem to be consistent to save their life. So I, I mean, I honestly I hate to say it, but I would just be shocked if they went all the way and won the finals just based on this whole series. And how they played. They get way up, you know, make it look like they're going to do something. And then they start, I don't, I wouldn't say coasting. I, I think that's, that's probably not fair, but it's almost as if they, they just revert back to some of the old habits that cause you and me to go on rants and get frustrated during these podcasts. And you have two guys on this team that are your star players that are not good late in ball games. I mean, that's why people don't like Harden and they don't like Westbrook because those are two guys that have a reputation in playoff games when it gets ratcheted up of not being there for you. And and it's not a regular season thing all the time because James Harden can do it in the regular season, but the defense, the intensity, the amount of pressure ratchets it, you know, it ratchets it up in the playoffs and that's the problem with both him and Russell Westbrook is they, they don't seem to handle the pressure very well. And you know what? People are going to continue to talk about it until the script changes. And right now the script hasn't changed, especially in games like this where the Rockets had a chance to finish. You know, they came back when they were down 85-78. That's when I kind of thought they might fall apart, Robert, is at that point when uh, perhaps they, they might just kind of blow this thing away. Well, they, they came back and they had the lead and they had the chance but then, you know, with Chris Paul being fouled with 12 seconds left, I mean, he's almost just Mr. Automatic at the free throw line, and that set it up. And then, the, but the, the turnover obviously is is what put the final nail in the coffin in this game against the Rockets. I wish the Rockets could get Green and Covington playing good at the same time in the same game because we saw Covington; he was great the last couple of games. Jeff Green was great in the first four games. It's just you can't seem to get both of those guys going at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point, and, and it's so disappointing, especially with Covington. 40 points in the last two games, Robert. That's that's what Covington's had, and and he was making steals. He was blocking shots, but Jeff Green, uncharacteristically, what did he only have uh, one three in this game, I think? And it was late. It was in the fourth quarter. It was late in the game before he got his first three. Three points total. Yeah, three points total. That that's definitely not the Jeff Green that we're used to seeing, and we we've got to see more of the old Uncle Jeff if the Rockets are gonna, you, you know, just think about it. If he'd had a couple more baskets, the Rockets might have won that game. Not just only three points, but you had three turnovers in just eighteen minutes, and he was part of the problem there too. 
Yeah, and, and of course, I know he hasn't been playing as much, but Ben McLemore has, has been almost a no-show in most of this series the last few games. Yeah, he only had four minutes in this game. And, you know, Daniel House, I, I, I do want to put one positive out there. I, I love the way Daniel House has played most of this series. He had a bad stretch at the end of, what was that, game one or two? I can't remember which one that one was. He, he, he didn't look good at the end of one of the games, uh, made a couple of big mistakes. But overall, Daniel House, the hustle – the energy that he's provided. Uh, I really like the way he's played this series. And, and I, I think he shot the ball pretty decent from outside. He's given you what you wanted. And, and he was wanting to make up for what happened last year. And he definitely has, I think. Yeah, and, that, and you said it, hustle. That, that was the thing that stood out to me about Daniel House is just the way he's hustled after the ball. And you know, he's been doing that most of the season. But as you said, last year in the postseason, it just kind of kind of went away for him. But he's put several games together where I think he has been at least consistently, you know, doing the little things and and scoring at at some points that he needs to do. But even he's going to need to step it up more if the Rockets are going to win this game seven. I mean, they're they're all going to have to bring their game at this point, obviously. One uh, big adjustment I thought Oklahoma City's made recently is that we didn't see as much of Dort late in this game and the last couple of games. They're they're realizing that. They just can't afford to have them on the floor on the offensive side, and that's that's a big deal because uh, they're a lot more effective. And we got to give credit to our old friend Chris Paul. Uh, he was <laughs> he was fantastic in this game. Yeah, he certainly was. And uh, you know, he made the big shots. He started warming up from three, and, and he was hitting the mid-range jumpers too, which, of course, is is his thing. But, you know, getting back to Luke Dort, I mean, he almost got a little scary. What do, what do you have, eight points in a row in one stretch, 12 for the game? I mean, that – for him, I mean, that's a double figures for Lou Dort. That's pretty crazy. But let's be honest, he just he is not a shooter at this point. And uh, the, the Rockets, more often than not, are going to let him take those shots because more often than not, he's going to miss them. Right. And he only played 20 minutes, Stephen. That's it. That's all he played. Well, he got into foul trouble early, and that was good. He got him off the floor early with those three fouls and uh, took advantage of it to some extent. Um, but you know, he, he really wasn't a factor late in the game when it was all said and done. Another guy that you got to talk about in this game, because I thought he kept the thunder in this game in the first half. And that was Gallinari and, and or, well, in third quarter, I think it was, was might've been where he really went off, but I just didn't understand. He was the only guy doing anything. I, I wanted to see them get the ball, just get it out of his hands. Cause he, he's going to shoot over whoever the Rockets put on him. Yeah, he certainly is. And uh, you knew that he wasn't going to be down for long, you know, from the last game. You knew he was going to come back strong, and he certainly did. I thought he stayed on the bench a little bit longer, you know, after that run than than I might have thought. I thought they would have put him back in the game sooner. But uh, he definitely was a factor for the Thunder in this game. Only 28 minutes. It, it felt like so much more because it seemed like every time he got the ball in his hands. He was, was making shots. Yeah, it was a basket. Also, you know, I you talk about Chris Paul. It's not just the 28 points from Chris Paul. It was a couple of things. You look at the box score. He played 40 minutes. They were a plus 20 when Chris Paul was on the floor. He's so important to their their team. And and also, just he got, he's getting into the Rockets' head. PJ Tucker, he was all upset that Chris Paul drew him into the foul, but Chris Paul drew him into that foul. In the yeah, final sure few minutes of the game, that you, you, PG Tucker's known this guy forever. You gotta know, just don't do that. Don't get suckered into that foul right there. He, uh, it's like he was, he was a few feet off of Chris Paul, 
And he was, I thought, at the perfect spot for him. And then he decided he was going to move into Chris Paul's space. And Chris knows as soon as you get into his spaces a little bit, there's nobody that knows how to draw that foul better than Chris Paul. It was like dangling a juicy piece of meat in front of a dog. I mean, how, how are you not going to take that? He just let him right into it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Robert. And that's, that's one of the things that makes Chris Paul the great player he is. Yeah, he can score, but he's got the psychological thing going too. And, you know, the other thing is Chris Paul is, has been a very healthy Chris Paul this year. He only played 72 games, I believe, in the regular season, all told. But Paul played 70 of those games, and, and even in this postseason. He's looking healthier than I've seen him look, gosh, and even when he was with the Rockets, quite frankly. If I'm looking to Game 7 in a couple of days, there's just basically two things that I'm looking for. Eric Gordon and Russell Westbrook. I need these two guys to show up and you need some better play down the stretch because to hope that that's going to be a blowout in game seven, you know, and that just doesn't happen in too many game sevens. I mean, I've seen it happen a couple of times with the Rockets actually. Yeah. The Rockets have been on the losing end of uh, some game sevens for sure. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, Eric Gordon, you know, one of six from three, three of 12 overall in this game. That's, that's not going to cut it. You know, his three-point shooting has been off, but when he's gone to the rim, he's been pretty strong, you know, off and on. But he's just got to be more consistent either way uh, for the Rockets to come out on top in that game seven, for sure. And yeah, yeah, you almost have to hope for a blowout because the track record in this series late in games, when it's close, advantage goes to the Thunder. Yeah, there was that play. I wonder, I can't remember when it was, but they fire the ball up ahead to Eric Gordon. And this used to be automatic. You'd throw the ball up ahead to Eric Gordon on a fast break and, and nobody's around him and he would just bury the three. But yep. there was one guy in front of him and Eric Gordon could get by one guy. I mean, there's nobody behind that one guy. And Eric Gordon is the best at bowling balling is <laughs> best. I can say it bowling balling his way <laughs> to the, to the basket. And, and, and that's a situation where Eric's got to just recognize I, I'm not, I'm not shooting. Th- I mean, recognize that. I mean, I don't know how many times I've got to say it, but Eric Gordon, figure it out. You're not shooting the three any good, period. And he was doing in game one and game two, he was being strong to the hoop. I, I just wish if, if that's what's going to work for him, I wish he would go back to that. Those strong drives, those explosive moves that he was making in those first couple games in the series. He's not trying to compensate with that when those threes aren't falling. And, you know, in a game seven, it, something's got to break either way. Either he's got to start making the threes or he's got to start making those drives to the hoop. And the Rockets did miss quite a few inside shots in this game. You know, in the fourth quarter, they started making the shots they needed to make. But uh, they, they've definitely got to do better, you know, not just down the stretch, but in other aspects of the game. And just not allow the Thunder to go on those runs that they went on when they started missing some easy shots. The other big thing in uh, the basketball world, not NBA related, but, you know, we talked about the Cliff Robinson passing away the other day. We didn't right. mention the fact that also in the last week, the college basketball world lost Lute Olson. And, you know, the other guy that we're going to talk about towards the end of this is uh, John Thompson. But in the last 100 days, the college basketball world, they've lost four of their best coaches ever. Eddie Sutton, 806 wins. Lou Henson, 770 nine wins and just synonymous with Illinois basketball. Lute Olson, 781 wins and synonymous with Arizona. 
And the guy that was most talked about in this game, John Thompson, 596 wins, just uh, synonymous, made Georgetown basketball into a thing. And that's almost 2,000 wins or 3,000 wow. wins, uh, according to my math, almost 3,000 wins uh, between those three guys. Uh, just, you know, and the legacy of those four guys, just uh, ridiculous. You know, and, and I actually had the chance to interview Lou Dolson once. And I'm trying to remember, I want to say it was in, it was in the late 90s. I know that because it was, it was a story that I was doing on none other than Luke Walton. And when he was, uh, I, I can't remember if he's a freshman or a sophomore, but he had, he was, of course, at Arizona and uh, had a chance to interview uh, Lou Dolson uh, for that story. Very class guy. And certainly a winning coach, as you said. And with John Thompson, you know, of course, that that uh, championship in '84 was against none other than Hakeem Olajuwon and uh, the University of Houston. And I, I'll be honest, Robert. Of course, I was upset about the loss because I was a U of H fan and still am, but not as much as the one the year before against North Carolina State. I mean, the the Georgetown loss, it was hard, but you almost knew. I mean, Georgetown was just so strong. You almost just felt like. That championship was theirs just because, obviously, Guy V. Lewis was a great coach, but John Thompson was just ahead above everybody else. The Cougars just weren't as strong as they were that 83 season. They had lost Clyde. Uh, you looked at the matchup, and it looked like you know the Cougars had Dream, but he didn't have the supporting cast that he had the year before. And Georgetown, with a much better supporting cast to go along with Patrick Ewing, and as good as Akeem Olajuwon was with the Rockets, you know, he just wasn't the Akeem Olajuwon that we got to know with the Rockets when he was at U of H. He was really good, but <laughs> more of a defensive guy, you know, than a than an offensive nonstop, you know, bucket getter that he was with the Rockets. Definitely not. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. I hadn't even thought about the fact there were four coaches in the last how many did you say in the last month? Hundred days. Hundred days. Okay, so that's over three months. Wow. That's, that's amazing. We, we've had a lot of loss this year, that's for sure. When I think of Eddie Sutton, I don't know about everybody else, but I, I always think of Gene Hackman in Hoosiers because there was a slight resemblance and it, it just seemed like he was using a little bit. Of, I don't know who his inspiration was, but it, it seemed like he was using a little bit of Eddie Sutton. Uh, maybe I heard that, that was uh, what he was doing there. But, you know, Lou, Lou, Lou Henson and uh Lute Olson, I saw both of those guys coach in the Sweet 16. Boy, this has got to be going back to maybe 2001 in San Antonio. So I got to see the two of them coach there when I was covering Ole Miss for the CBS in Memphis. And then John Thompson, when I was working in Little Rock, I got to see John Thompson in the Sweet 16 when I was covering Arkansas in Atlanta at the Georgia Dome. And, you know, what I remember from that is John Thompson had this little bitty guard that was looking really good. And you think maybe this guy's going to be something. His name was Alan Iverson. Ah, yes. Alan Iverson. Well, you know, he, he certainly credited his coach for, I think, as he put it, saving his life, you know, because he, he definitely turned himself around personally. And I think uh, had a lot to do with that. And, and getting back to Eddie Sutton, I'll tell you one thing that I really, I, I used to really enjoy this this was in the late 70s, early 80s, when Eddie Sutton was coaching at Arkansas, and Abe Lemons was the coach of the University of Texas, and this, of course, you know, this was in the old Southwest Conference. Abe Lemons and Eddie Sutton would go at it, 
and I mean go at it, not just with their teams on the basketball court, shouting at each other, practically almost meeting at midcourt, almost coming to blows. Almost, It seemed like almost every game those two played against each other. They were yelling and screaming at each other from the sidelines. I, I enjoyed watching the Eddie Sutton, Abe Lemon show almost as much as I enjoyed the basketball game between the University of Texas and Arkansas. So, uh, I mean, Eddie Sutton, of course, known for a lot more than that. Definitely a winning coach, but it, it just, I remember growing up and watching that and just always getting a kick out of those two going at each other. Uh, Abe Lemon's one of the great characters, one of the great c- quotes. He's sort of a forgotten guy, I think, in in uh, college sports in, in, in Texas. But yeah, he he was fun. And I just, I need to add something about John Thompson because, you know, everybody in Houston, uh, they love Dikembe Mutombo, big fan of uh, Deke when he was with the Rockets. And he put up on Instagram a, a message on the passing of John Thompson. He said that, you know, he was his teacher, his mentor, hero, and a father figure to so many of us who got a chance to play for him. This is quoting uh, Deke. And uh, he said, under Coach Thompson, I learned a lot about the game of basketball, but most importantly, I learned how to be a man in society. We will really miss him, RIP Coach. And, uh, you know, he just, you know, coached Ewing and, and Alonzo Mourning and Dikembe Mutombo. Most of, most of the bigs, that you think about over the last 20 years defensively, the best, you know, big men defensively in the NBA outside of maybe a Rudy Gobert or Akeem Olajuwon. It's those, those guys, those centers that came out of Georgetown. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you talk about when, when the big East got going, I mean, you know, Georgetown was it. I mean, you talk about a pioneer. I know that term is used a lot, but John Thompson was absolutely a pioneer turning a, a, a school like Georgetown into a team that people still talk about today. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, everybody talks about the fashion of the Fab Five and the the long shorts and the the knee the knee high shorts or the knee low shorts or whatever you want to call them. But uh, <laughs> right. But but a big fashion statement that's forgotten about is that T-shirt under the jersey look that. Oh, the, that's right. The that's right. Georgetown had so yeah. <laughs> it was the Hoya look. I don't know. They didn't have a name for it. I if they did, I don't remember it, but. Yeah, that that was the Georgetown fashion right there. Well, we'll look forward to Game 7, Rockets and Thunder in a couple of days. We'll be back with you with that. We're, we're doing every post-game show. Tell your friends about us. We'd appreciate it. Uh, you can always message us through Twitter, Facebook, email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.